0: I really look uh, with interest at works of art that have an influence on people when there is some artistic offering that really makes an impact on people I really uh, I'm very interested uh, to see what's going on there I noticed last year the highest grossing movie uh, at the box office domestic box office uh, was a movie that was it was far and away earned more money than any other movie. I mean, it wasn't even close. Even the, clo- the closest ones, were. this was like two or three times that amount. And the highest, highest grossing domestic movie last year was a movie called Top Gun Maverick. And uh, I looked at that movie and said, wow, this really affected people. What's going on here? And it, it's interesting, you know, how much of the plot of that movie involved a, a man taking the hit for someone else, another man or, or a woman in the movie. And if you enjoyed that movie, um, if you like that movie, I, I'd, I'd encourage you to watch it again and take note of this. You know, that you know, big kind of movement of the plot was how the main character, this Maverick fellow, um, was protecting uh, the the memory of his co-pilot who had died, and he had a son who grew up, and uh, the, the character was being maligned, and and was taking insults from the son because he wasn't saying certain things. He was he was taking the hit for uh, the, his his co-pilot, his deceased co-pilot, and even you get to the end of the all, all these things happen in this way, and then you get sort of to the end of the movie and this Maverick character literally takes the bullet, uh, takes the bullets of the enemy and crashes for the sake of the sun, that the sun uh, would, would escape, would live. And, and the sun actually turns around and does the same thing. And he, he takes the enemy's bullets and ends up crashing, and they end up crashing together. And uh, he, he runs over to him, he, Maverick's really upset. He says, you were, you were supposed to escape. Why did you do this? And he goes, well, I'm just doing what you do, you know, taking the bullet. I was taking the hit for you. Um, so that's, that's, like, that's the movement of, of the movie. It was so effective. Um, it really moved something in, in the, the audiences of, of, of America. It really struck something deep. And actually, you know, if you go back to movies that were really influential, I think you'd be surprised at how many of them actually have the same theme. Within them, where someone takes the hit, takes the bullet for someone that they're loyal to. And that's a big thrust of the plots of, of movies that are really influential, that really have a lasting effect on people. So, where does that come from? You know, it's great to see our children with us uh, today. You know, I know this is not a Doodle Sunday, but kids, if, if you want to draw something, if you're getting bored, or you want to draw something, you could draw this. Draw a picture of somebody jumping in front of someone else, taking taking a bullet for them. Somebody shooting a gun, and have have them jump in front of someone, taking a bullet, if you wanted to, okay? And by the way, it's fine that the kids are with us. It's all right if they're squirming, you know, it's fine, it's all good, it's all good. We're just really glad to have our kids safe, (laughs) so it's, uh, it's wonderful to have them with us, don't worry about it so where does this come from well in the passage that we're about to read amanda's about to read for us it's it's written in verse four that the things that were written beforehand were written for our instruction that we would have hope that we would endure and the passage is actually about this subject so amanda would you read for us would you please stand as we hear the word of god together got this? Yeah. I have a magic touch. (laughs) Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans 15 beginning in verse 1 and continuing to verse 6. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. So this is Romans chapter 15, and chapter 15, verse 1 of Romans really begins a new discussion, a new topic, not unrelated to what went before, but Paul is saying something new here. How do I know that? Well, for one, he changes the words that he's using. Uh, This doesn't quite come through in the translation, but it, it actually doesn't say the strong and the weak here. It talks about the powerful and the powerless. He actually changes the terms here he also changes the style of his writing. You see there's a first-person plural there. He changes to we instead of you or they here. And I think what Paul is doing is taking a step back um, and saying, I want to I talk to you about a bigger principle, a more fundamental principle. Why is this important? Because some of you might remember, might be still thinking about what I was saying two weeks ago in Turkey, talking about the weak brother and the strong brother, and I was making the argument there that Paul is not trying to say that one is better than the other. Uh, and you might read this and say, well, it seems like here he is identifying with the strong, and, and, but it's really the powerful. Uh, in fact, if you look at ancient uh, manuscripts of ancient copies of the, of the letter to the Romans, uh, some of them have a doxology that actually separates chapter fourteen from chapter fifteen they take the doxology that is in our version at the end and they move it and there's a there's a kind of break between fourteen and fifteen and there's this doxology so obviously they're thinking those uh... the people who had kind of edited that was are thinking it's, there's a distinction here between the discussions and so what i what i would say paul is doing here is he's taking this step back and saying i want to talk to you about a bigger issue that's more fundamental to the christian life that is Absolutely essential to what it means to be a Christian. So what is it? Well, verse 1, it's this action of bearing others' burdens, bearing others. That word bear doesn't really come across too well in the English. It, It doesn't mean endure or kind of tolerate. Like we read that bear with and we think, oh, tolerate my, you know, kind of tolerate what's going on with my brother. No, it's a very active verb. It really means to carry. When he says in verse 1, we who are the powerful, really the powerful, ought to carry um, the weaknesses or or says here failures, but it's really weaknesses or or vulnerabilities or burdens of the powerless. It's really an active process that he's talking about. It's more like Owen Pesnell and Ben Overby going over to fill Thief and Fender's Uh, yard and shoveling dirt around right and you know literally carrying a brother's dirt around his yard okay it's that kind of image that should be in your heads okay in fact children you could draw that as well someone carrying dirt around another person's yard that's the image here who's it being done for it's being done for one's neighbor right in verse two you shouldn't please yourself, but you should please the, and, and, and seek to please your neighbor for your neighbor's good. And, you know, that should remind you of a saying. Does that remind you of any saying from Scripture, talking about not pleasing yourself, but your neighbor? Does that remind you of anything? verse from the Scriptures, especially that neighbor part. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's what Paul is referring to. Actually brings that up earlier in the letter as well. And that's a quote, you know, from the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. Kind of a fundamental quote. People associate it with Jesus. But Jesus actually is quoting the book of Leviticus when he uses it. It comes from Leviticus where the scriptures say, love your neighbor as yourself. And in Leviticus, the neighbor is somebody that you're in community with, someone that's part of the people that you interact with in, in your covenant, your covenant community. That's what the, the scripture in Leviticus is talking about. So we're talking about carrying something, a vulnerability, a weakness of the person in, in, with whom you are in community. That's the issue. That's the the principle that paul is bringing out and i think he's he's trying to say you know i was having this previous discussion it's related to this but really this is a larger principle about what it means to be a christian this is a fundamental of christian living and so he's making this broad and crucial point for their church so they could have a church where these strange gentiles and jews actually live together actually are one together in unity the great novelist, George Eliot, comments on these two verses in, uh, in her novel, Adam Bede. And the character, she has a character say that there's a text that wants no candle to show it. It shines by its own light. There's a text that wants no candle to show it. It shines by its own light. In other words, she's saying that this text is just so obvious what, you, what you're supposed to be doing and it's so, so obviously a part of what it means to be a Christian that it really needs no commentary on that. You know, this is a funnel. If you, if you call yourself Christian, if you bear the name of Christ, then this activity should be in your life. So that's a pa- the point that Paul is trying to make here. And then he goes on to illustrate it in verse 3. Right? Preachers of Ironworks Church, take note. If you have a principle that's important, that's significant, you illustrate it, right? And if it's worth illustrating, if, if, if it's a significant point, you should be illustrating it. If it's not worth illustrating, maybe it shouldn't be in your sermon, right? But Paul is a good preacher. We got it. So Paul's a good preacher, and he says, let me illustrate this. And and so to illustrate it, where does he turn? He turns to Jesus Christ. You see that in verse 3? He said, for even Jesus. Now that makes sense to us, right? We can track with that. If you're going to go for an example of somebody who bore someone else's burdens, right? Someone else's vulnerabilities, someone else's weaknesses, it would be Jesus Christ, right? So we're tracking with that. That easily makes sense. However, what Paul says next does not make sense. If you're going to bring up Jesus Christ as one who bore someone else's weaknesses or vulnerabilities in community, what are you going to cite? Why not cite some example from Christ's earthly life? Right? Paul knew Christ's life, didn't walk with him, but by this point in his ministry, he certainly had many communications with people who did. He knew the story of Christ's life. He knew the stories that he could draw on, and I mean, if you just thought of one, if you said, I'm going to use Jesus Christ as an example of bearing others' weaknesses, of someone who's powerful bearing the weakness or vulnerability of the powerless, what would you, what would you, you could think of different examples, right, where Jesus kind of bore or carried the, the failures of, of the apostles that he was with, right, or how he, he carried and bore The weaknesses of his family, his own family. Or even his enemies, how he bore his enemies' vulnerabilities at times. You could think of a lot of examples, couldn't you? Does Paul think of, does Paul go there? Does Paul mention these? No, he does not. How about the cross? How about Jesus' sacrificial atonement, right? Of Jesus dying. I mean, if you could think of any better example of Jesus taking on a weakness of another, a vulnerability, right? It would be when Jesus died on the cross. In fact, this is, this is just where Paul goes earlier in the letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 5, right? What does he say there? While we were yet weak, while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. So that would be a great example to bring up. Does Paul bring it up? No, he does not. Instead, look at what he does. Brings up Jesus, but he brings it up and quotes an Old Testament scripture, a psalm, apparently about Jesus. And this is Jesus not in relation to others, but in relation to the Father. So what does he mean here? Now, when what I'm about to say, it might seem like I'm going down a rabbit hole, and you're like, where are we going with this? Uh, I just want you to see that it's not me that is taking us down this rabbit hole, it's the text. <laughs> it's what the text is saying. So I would encourage you to come with me if we are going down a rabbit hole, because it leads, I think, to a, to a wide and spacious place for us. What is Paul saying here when he quotes this Old Testament? Well, the first thing to realize is what he's quoting is Psalm 69. And Psalm 69 is a staple in the New Testament of understanding Jesus Christ's experience. Psalm 69 is a staple of understanding the experience of Jesus Christ for the New Testament writers. Why do I say that? Because it comes up so many times in the New Testament. In the Gospels, when Jesus is, is going to the cross, Luke brings up how this kind of interesting but, but kind of obscure detail that he's offered this, this wine mixed with myrrh to drink. He's offered this bitter wine to drink. And what is Luke doing there? He's recalling Psalm 69 verse 21 where he was offered this bitter wine to drink the person in the psalm and luke doesn't is not the only one who does that john does that and matthew and mark do it twice two times one right when he's being crucified the other while he's on the cross being offered these things to drink remembering verse 21 of psalm 69 john in the beginning of his gospel He quotes Psalm 69 when he sees Jesus cleanse the temple. John chapter 2. Jesus, you remember, he makes a whip and he drives out those who are merchandising in the temple and he overturns the money changers' tables. He's so angry. And John looks at this and he says, Oh, this is is what Psalm 69 is talking about. My zeal for your house consumes me. So he quotes there psalm 69 verse 9 or acts chapter 1 simon peter just kind of whips out psalm 69 in order to tell the apostles what they should do next you know they're they're kind of there jesus has already left they're not sure what they're going to be doing and and P, and simon peter just brings out psalm 69 and says well we should choose another apostle because one of the apostles went and committed suicide judas iscariot so apparently Because of Psalm 69 says it, Peter says we should choose another apostle because it's written in Psalm 69 that let his habitation be desolate, let another his office take. And so on the basis of that, they choose another apostle uh, to constitute the 12. Even in this uh, letter, earlier in this letter, Romans chapter 11, the apostle Paul bemoans how his generation is rejecting Christ And because of their antipathy to Christ, he quotes Psalm 69 to explain his own generation, written a thousand years before, written to, to, he says, this explains my own generation's antipathy toward Christ. And you go on in in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, four times draws on the imagery of Psalm 69 in the book of life. Children, if you want to have another thing to draw here, you want to draw something, you can draw an open book from Psalm 69. It's called the Book of Life. And you can put people's names inside that book, that open book. You probably want to include yours. But you could put people's names who should be in the Book of Life there. So this is all the way through. Yes, this, this is definitely Messianic. right? For the New Testament writers, quoting Psalm 69 equivalent to describing Jesus' experiences. That's what we see. But that doesn't tell us still why Paul chose it here or why he chooses the verse he did as as an example of living in community, does it? What's the quote? The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Past tense. Those who reproached you, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me in the psalm the person is speaking to god the father the whole psalm is an address to god the father so you see friends that means that these words says paul is christ talking and if so it is christ talking to the father now that brings us to a kind of hermeneutical point here which we don't really have time to get into but it is, uh, it's something to note that the, the early Christians, including the New Testament writers, often looked at what was written by the Old Testament prophets as actually describing conversations at times between those people in the Godhead, those persons in the Godhead. And there's been good scholarship done here. I especially want to cite Matthew Bates, an excellent work in demonstrating this, what he calls prosopological exegesis. It really helps us see that and many times the early Christians, including the New Testament writers, would look at these characters and say, they're not actually just describing their own experiences. The veil has come back, and we've actually entered into eternity. And what we're getting from them is a conversation or dialogue, an inter-Trinitarian dialogue. They're not describing, the writers aren't describing their own experiences. Like when David, especially David, sometimes when he says things like, the, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Well, that's not anything in David's experience. What are we reading there? We're, we're actually getting, getting a glimpse into eternity and a conversation. This is how the, the New Testament writers often speak. Of what's going on between these persons of the Godhead, in eternity. And that explains why Paul here, in, uh, in quoting Psalm 69, goes right to Jesus. He doesn't talk about David or his suffering. He just says, you know, Jesus himself did not uh, please himself, but instead and speaks the words of the psalm. The reproaches of those who reproached you have fallen on me. So that helps us understand what Paul is saying here is that David was speaking prophetically, in the person of Christ. We're getting his actual words to the Father. Now, you could try to say, "Well, this something else seems to be going on. Maybe Paul is just thinking about the cross." Um, and this is one of the things that happened while Jesus was on the cross. He was bearing other people's reproaches against God on him. But that doesn't really make any sense. And if Paul wanted to say that, there are plenty of other things he could say. Just like I said before, he could, he could talk about us, Christ bearing our reproaches, bearing God's wrath against us, you know, bearing our weaknesses. But he doesn't say that. Um, there are other things he could quote from that psalm that would get, that idea, be closer to that idea. But no, we're, we're being directed into the community within God. And this is not unusual for the book of Romans. You see, uh, you recall, when we've seen that the, the Trinity is in Romans, not maybe in the full, full-orbed doctrine that we later came to understand. But these triads, these different mem- persons of the Trinity brought together, remember we had our triad In in Romans contest, and Teresa and Terry found 15 different places where the different persons, all three persons are brought together uh, and into view for us. In 16 chapters, 15 times in 16 chapters. So certainly the Trinity is part of what Paul is revealing to us here. Even in verse 6, you notice the Trinitarian relation of Father and Christ are highlighted god and father of our lord jesus christ so what we're getting here is this interaction between persons of the trinity christ remembering to the father what he did for him in the past tense so this is this is david a thousand years before being shown in eternity what christ is saying as he looks back on his life now friends this is this is cosmic right We can't really enter into the the fullness of God, right? Their love is perfect, all human thought transcending. But this act of Christ and these words of Christ show us something. What does he say? I want to take your insults that are due to you and receive them instead of you. So what's he talking about? What did he do? You know what he did? He took the bullet. He actively took the bullet for the Father. If this is Jesus Christ and he is addressing God, he's saying that the reproaches that that men made against God have fallen on him. They fell on him. And, you know, that word reproaches is the same word used in the Gospels to describe what the robbers were giving Jesus who were crucified on either side of him. Remember when Jesus was crucified, there was one robber crucified on the left, one on the right, and they reproached him because they were all—they having a hard time, they were all suffering, and they knew, they knew he could deliver himself and them along with them. From this excruciation, and yet he wouldn't. He didn't. They knew he could and they wouldn't. So they reproached him. They screamed at him. They yelled at him. How could you? Why don't you? And and insulted him. But what was really going on there? You had two people who did not like the way their life was going, the way their life had turned out, and they were angry. But they were their gripe wasn't really with Christ it was with god wasn't it their life was not what happens when people get their life doesn't doesn't go the way they know it should go their anger is really against god but people don't really it's embarrassing to shake your fist at god so they look for other targets and jesus was there was the representative of god there and so he became the target and so all of the wrath anger they they felt, which is really not rational, right? God, who is only good to us and just to us, does not deserve our anger, but sometimes we are angry at Him. And when people are angry at God without faith, without faith in His goodness, and they want to shake their fist at God, Jesus is the target. That's what we see in the robbers. It's very typical. So they are all the calumnies of, of humankind directed. In these, from these robbers in him, but also in the other things that go on. You think of the crown of thorns, that mocking crown of thorns put on his head. The buffeting of his skull, the bludgeoning of his skull, the, the, the mockery that he received on the Via Dolorosa. Right? All of the things that, that the calumnies and the, and, the, and the sarcasm, the sarcastic sign they nailed above his head what is these are expressions of people's anger against God that are falling instead on Christ and children if you want to draw something here you can you can draw this you can draw Jesus getting mocked in one of these scenes this is what he was doing And recall verse 1 to bear is an active thing it's an active verb he signed up for this Jealous for God's honor. Jealous for the Father's honor. He signed up for this. And that's why, friends, you have all these great, all the movies that are so impactful have this theme in it. And this is why Paul brings it up as a fundamental of the Christian life. Because what we're getting is something that proceeds out of the processions of God Himself. We're getting a glimpse of what they have in a way we can understand it. We can't understand who they are in essence, in reality, in their processions. But when they come forth in mission, in salvation for us, we see a glimpse of it. And we see a glimpse in the way Christ would say, I do not want you to be insulted. I'll take them on myself. can know the reality of what they have but what we can see in terms we can understand in our minds and our hearts is this that's why it's so fundamental to the christian life because it is part of god and then paul says this is also what we should imitate verses 4 and 5 you notice that in verse 5 God, who God is refers to, verse 4, what we do. He's the God of encouragement. He's the God of endurance. Right? And we endure. We are, we are to be encouraged right? because this comes out of God. So we are, we are being called to imitate what, what is between them so that, verse 6, God would be glorified. That's the point. That who they are to each other would be brought forth and displayed in us. It's the same pattern of teaching we see, for example, in Philippians 2. Where, where Paul says again, before, God, he, Paul, God, before Jesus even became a man, in eternity, he had this attitude toward the Father that we should imitate. It's the same thing here. Now this might seem overwhelming to us. You think about that. Like, when do we do that? But Paul is saying, this is the fundamental. If we are the powerful, to bear with, bear for the powerless, to take on their vulnerability, their weakness of the powerless. This is what it is. What Paul is saying is that we can hope, we can have hope that this is, this is going to happen. And it results in this unity this profound unity in verses 5 and verse 6. Okay? He said, this brings such harmony with one another. Literally, being of the same mind, there verse 5. And with one voice, that, uh, uh, that word in verse 6, with one voice really is with, in one accord. It's, it's the favorite, favorite word of, of Luke. the the writer, when he's writing the book of Acts, and he's describing what he sees in all these churches that Paul is planting, that the Spirit is, is bringing forth. He's saying, and they were all in one accord, and they were all in unity. He was so amazed at this, apparently. He was so struck by this. He keeps bringing it up over and over again. How can this happen in this Roman Empire? How can it happen with these Jews and Gentiles? How can people actually be so unified together? And so he uses this word over and over again. In one accord, they're in one accord. About 10 times he does this. And Paul is trying to encourage us that this will occur among us. That, that if, you, if you are losing hope that you can have a church and be in unity with these strange Gentiles or these, these strange Jews, if you're losing hope about it, you're discouraged about that, Paul is saying, no, you will have that because this is in God. It comes out of God. So you can have hope that you can have unity with each other. I mean, nobody really can be of one mind. No people can really be of one mind with one another except persons of the Trinity. Not really. To actually literally think the same thoughts, no one can do that except the Trinity. But if you are in Christ, you will be ever closer to that. You will be brought ever, ever more into the reality of that, is what he's saying. So when you're tempted to lose hope, this is the step he should take. Bear, carry one another's dirt around the yard. That's what he's saying for us to do. And that is what will happen among us. He's confident. We should be confident too. Please stand and let's come to the table together.